How's it going, man? It's going well. Yeah? Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to compose my thoughts on the latest film we watched. Well, what film did we just watch? We watched um, a uh, 2012 uh, film festival starlet uh, called The Sessions. Yes. With Helen Hunt and John Hawks. John's cock. <laughs> the Helen Hunt for Red Cocktober. <laughs> <laughs> we could also call it Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, fewer seconds than that. Or spontaneous combustion. Or the forgasm. The forgasm? What does that mean? Because he just, the, the whole movie was about how he came four times. No, F O R E. Oh, the forgasm. Yeah, because it's premature. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for Jamie to be like, can we restart? <laughs> No, I, th- I think this is a good, this is a comparably good start. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we watched the sessions, which um, was basically just a dude who decided he wanted to have sex. He was a journalist that got commissioned to write an article on having sex, but he had polio and lived in an iron lung based on a true story, which is very important. Yeah, it's a real person named Mark O'Brien, um, who has, yeah, as Tony said, he had a, a bachelor's of English and a master's degree in journalism or something like that. Like a very accomplished uh, academic, went to UC Berkeley um, and lived the first 35 years of his life a virgin and really had trouble uh, trying to get laid the natural way. So he went the academic route and decided to try to uh, find somebody to fuck him and then write about it. And so here we are watching a movie uh, tailor-made for people who listen to This American Life Uh um, and are curious about the disabled experience, but only want to experience it in a formal, digestible, uh, comfortable way. Well, I don't know if it was comfortable. Like, it starts out with a flashback to footage of the real Mark O'Brien Rolling around in his electric gurney, rolling down the sidewalk. He has like a, he's like got a blanket on. He's on a, basically an electric stretcher. The same as like what they would put you in an ambulance in. He has a mirror over the front of his face so that he can see in front of him. And he's basically a, it looks like a possessed table. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't, it looks like it's driving itself. It really freaked me out. Um, I think it was like the first comment that I made when we were watching it. Yeah, he's like a uh, like a patient uh, that escaped an ambulance uh, accidentally, like flew out the back of the ambulance, and then just kept living his life in that bed. It's like if ET came in and he wanted, he was like the next the next character in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, because ET can fly a bicycle. Okay, hear me out. E.T. can operate a bicycle hands-free by flying with his E.T. alien powers. And John Hawks is able uh, to... I don't know why this is such a foreign concept to you. (laughs) This makes perfect sense. (laughs) Basically, he is E.T., but like four by four. (laughs) You're saying that... They have the same chest. Um... That's about it. But they have the same chest. 
so in the movie, it doesn't actually show him driving his own chair. His chair is always pushed by his attendant, like he's in a manual gurney. Well, it's not a chair. No, it's an electricized hospital bed, essentially. Electricized. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ele- electricized hospital bed. That was one thing you were asking when we were watching it. It's like, why can't they just sit him up? Right. And I don't think there's a good answer. I'm pretty sure they can sit him up. I think they just do it for, like, effect. So you thought that was, like, a, a decision made by the film crew? Yeah, I think so, because I, I think I've seen pictures of Mark O'Brien in an actual wheelchair. But then they did show, uh, they showed him graduating UC Berkeley, crossing the stage in his possessed stretcher. <laughs> I love how you're like uh, like offended and or scared by his mode of transportation. I am. Like, if, I, if you saw that thing, just, it looks like a light bulb that's just suspended in midair and turned on. <laughs> Like, how is it moving? It, it's funny because you're talking mostly about the bed and not about the person. It's almost like the, the person is secondary to the spectacle of it, of his. I couldn't even see him. <laughs> the only glimpse I got of him was through his mirror. It's like he's the basilisk in Harry Potter. That would be so terrifying. Yeah. I was looking at the floor to see if there's like a line it's following. Like if it's secretly being pulled by a Roomba. <laughs> oh man it's funny how every disabled person in their mind like has this um platonic ideal of what it of of the amount of mobility that they would like to have ideally to live the life that they want and then there's this like invisible line of what constitutes being too disabled like oh yeah like i might be in a power chair but at least i don't x or y <clears throat> and and it's like when 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 you're confronted with like uh additional disability in excess of your own experience, it's like, oh, that's terrifying. I think because, and I think I've brought this up before, but when I see other disabled people, I kind of feel like we're a community and we're repping each other. So if I saw this Roomba stretcher just going down the tunnels at Carlton or something, yeah, I would, first of all, I'd be afraid to get in front of it because I think that it doesn't know how to stop. <laughs> Tony, you're defer- you're referring to a, a fellow disabled person as it. Yeah, because I'm talking about the mechanism in which he gets around. Right. And it just seems like a poor choice. But also, and this isn't his fault, like he is he is he does have polio and he has to live in an iron lung, which by the way is probably one of the worst ways to have to be disabled. Oh, for sure. Can you imagine like you get out three to four hours a day? Oh my God. And you just have to lie around on like this table from Bewitched? It's it's like unimaginable. Um, yeah. Just like, just like the sheer number of like compulsory human experiences that you would be denied just because you're in this fucking box all day. <clears throat> the, the, the shots where he's in his department or in his apartment are like always tight and zoomed in on his face because that's his whole world. Like no other part of the apartment matters. And he even remarks that he doesn't own any furniture because he doesn't need any furniture. So, so the shots of his apartment that are wide are just like of his windowsill and his cat and the attendant that's currently giving him a sponge bath. (laughs) 
And so it just like gives you an idea of how insular his world is and how much he has to live inside of his own head in order to have any kind of rich experience whatsoever. And so it explains why, you know, like a lot of disabled people are drawn to creative um, endeavors and why like a lot of us end up uh, in occupations where like we all, a lot of us become writers of some kind. Yeah, well, he's a poet and a writer, which I don't really know what the difference is. Well, he's a published, yeah, he's a published writer. He wrote an autobiographical book called uh, On Becoming a Human Being, which the title in and of itself, not having read the book, but only the article that pertains to this movie kind of offends me uh, because it implies that when you're disabled, you're like born a monster and then you have to become a human being like you have to prove that you that you've adapted to your problem and so it's like when you see when you see um when you see hypothetical mark o'brien like driving in the tunnels at carlton like while you're on the way back from class like going to the cafeteria and you're like is this fucker gonna run over me like why is he driving like this why isn't he in a modern chair like does he even have a physiotherapist to like tell him to ride something more practical what the fuck is his problem <clears throat> and it's like what you're thinking is that like he hasn't really taken stock of his disability and solved uh, some of his issues, you know? Um, so he hasn't coped properly or something like that. But I mean, of course, the reason he's in that bed is because it's the 80s, probably, and they haven't invented the chair yet that will that will allow him to sit upright without putting undue stress on his respiratory system or something like that. Probably. Maybe, but I'm pretty sure I've seen, I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures of him in a, in a wheelchair. I do think, I don't know, I might be wrong, but I think that they added that just to make it a little bit more, I don't want to say disturbing, but like, you know, it, it, it does, it's, it's a little more jarring for sure. It, it It's definitely like a visual shorthand for the, for the magnitude of his uh, struggle. Yeah. But another thing that's really interesting is that, um, um, all of the scenes. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I think we should like actually just like go over like the overall plot of the movie a bit. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm getting kind of lost or going into the details a little too much. It it wasn't a bad movie. I actually liked it quite a bit. Uh, you called it a comedy, and I almost cried a few times. Well, the be- the best comedies uh, evoke tears. Yeah, but not, and I wasn't like happy tears. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get into why you almost cried. Yeah. Okay. So, like, well, it starts off with this man who, as we mentioned, uh, has polio, lives in an iron lung, and he's getting a bed bath from a seemingly kind of checked out attendant. She's like overly rough. And there's a like, narration by him throughout this whole movie. And she, he's describing it as, uh, someone who she's rough enough that I wish I could fire her, but gentle enough that it makes it feel like maybe I'm just being a pansy. Right. She kind of balances that line. And she uh, she dismisses any of his complaints about her lack of uh, <clears throat> proper conduct as like, oh, you know, that's just you polios are like that. Yeah, she's one of those attendants. And I've dealt with people like this before who... Just kind of, you're just kind of like a task that needs to be completed. They kind of forget that, like, that you're still a person behind the body that is fucked up. Like, even though you look like ET a little bit, you still like 
have a home that you'd like to find home to. I kind of <laughs> went off the rails a bit there. <laughs> you really want to keep that alive. Yeah, yeah, well, I just, I really want people to know how uncomfortable I was with that, uh, uh, the Roomba bed. <laughs> but yeah, so she's one of those attendants who's very much like, I, I just need to get this shit done and just get to my next thing, whatever it is. And yeah. uh, sorry, like, you know, just kind of just stripped all the humanity from it, which is a really lonely experience. I've been there before, especially this guy. Like, he was already living a very isolated life. And then for this attendant to come in and basically just be like, okay, let me shower or let me wash you with a loofah in bed and whatever, get it done. And you, you resent it, but they're not doing anything wrong. So you can't. You can't really be mad or you can't fire them because they're doing their job. They're doing what you've paid them to do. But you just wish there was like a bit of a connection emotionally or some humanity or something. Well, yeah. So she's washing him, then washes his balls, which is fantastic because some people really try to avoid that part. Um, Looks like she was probably the type of person who doesn't do the best job and does it very roughly. Hold on. I have a non sequitur for a moment. Okay. Do you have attendants in your life or, or like when they onboard new attendants and you meet them, do you know immediately like that they're going to try to avoid washing your balls? (laughs) No, you know, sometimes it's, it's also like, like the first time they don't wash your balls very well because they may be like, I don't know, am I supposed to? And then as you kind of build chemistry, they realize it's not that weird to just wash your balls. Do you feel like some sometimes trepidatious around people who are too good at washing your balls? Absolutely not. <laughs> that is fantastic. Sometimes, like, uh, somebody will get me up and not wash my balls that well, and I'll be like, oh, well, I'll probably see t- <laughs> so-and-so tomorrow, so I'll get a good ball washing then. Like, part of the reason I shower every day is so that I can get, like, a 30% ball washing three times. And then it's like the same as just one good ball washing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's like a formula of like ball washing performance. Right. <clears throat> like there's, there's, you can definitely um, plan all your dates on the Thursday or Friday where your balls have been cumulatively washed the best. Yeah. No, I basically do exactly that. There are some attendants who, like, are better at shaving my face or something. So if I know I get to see them on, like, a Friday, then that means I can plan to have a date that night because I know that, like, I'll probably look better than I would have on the Thursday before. Man, like, it's no wonder that so many, like, high-functioning disabled people are master manipulators (laughs) because you have to have so much foresight to plan your life properly to appear to be... uh, Put together and ready for things. Well, you, I don't even know if it's like manipulating or if it's just like management. It's like you basically have to like manage. You're like, okay, I, I know I'm going to see this person on this day. So, like, yeah, like you definitely have to be good at planning. It's 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 a uh, personal hygiene engineering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I have I have a diploma in ball wash foresight, <laughs> and. uh algorithm. So if you're a disabled person who has a full itinerary of attendance to look after your day-to-day needs, yeah. 
uh, and you have a sweaty ball sack, you're a failure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, you obviously, first of all, the first part of the sentence just isn't true. If you have a sweaty ball sack, you, you don't have a full staff. Like you have to fire someone who looks after you? No, you have to hire another person. You have to place an ad on Craigslist being like seeking professional ball washer, um, also known as scrotum scrubber or <laughs> um, uh, in French it would be nutsack nettoyage. Testicle tickler? Yeah, <laughs> that's a different uh, section on the website. Oh yeah, that's date night. I forgot, sorry. Yeah, yeah, this is a different, that's Friday night stuff. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. The whole point of... (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so the movie opens. Yeah. We're at the opening credits. (laughs) And uh, this annoying attendant washes his balls and he has uh, an ejaculation. But it's implied. There's basically just the attendant works down, kind of gives him like a, um, okay. Like a stink face. Yeah. And then he has just the look of shame and guilt. Yeah. It, the whole, the whole like scene <clears throat> transpires in like less than six seconds. Yeah. We watched it. I called it out. And then we had to go back to confirm that I wasn't making it up. Yeah, the interesting thing is, too, the movie has, like, a voiceover that is actually kind of quite often poorly written. Like, it really does, like, state um, Mark's state of mind all too often, and yet it doesn't really <clears throat> declare the fact that he that this happened. And it kind of makes me think that the movie, like, wanted to get it in because it was, like, um, integral to uh, the adaptation of the of the article that the movie's based on, but they also wanted to get it somewhat under the censors. So they couldn't say like, oopsie, I came like in my bed during my bath. <laughs> oopsie. <laughs> uh Sorry. It's like the, the trouble game where you just hit it and it goes, oopsie. <laughs> Try again. Do not pass go. <laughs> but yeah, um, well, I don't know if it was like to get past the sensors or if it was just sort of a nod to what was coming, like a bit of... I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. Spontaneous combustion. Um, I think it was more like he, he... We weren't ready for all of that yet. It was more of just like... Because uh, he does address it later. I don't think this movie really shied away from much. Helen Hunt is naked like half the movie that's true and not gratuitously no it's not it's not anything weird it's actually kind of more the opposite it's like a little uncomfortable because of how transactional it is i i would say it's uncomfortable because of how unsalacious it is yeah because we're we're so used to having the camera linger on certain parts of the body or like there there's there's a there's a grammar for sex scenes that is in like the collective consciousness so when someone gets naked and like other things do not happen, we we feel uncomfortable because it's almost like we're confronted with the anatomy of the body rather than like the thrill of seeing like a sex scene transpire on the screen. Right. So so it, it's almost clinical in that sense. And um, it allows her to be like both like a character, like a person who is naked and then also someone who is about to 
have sex. And so, it, yeah, yeah it, 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 it is good in that way. And, and actually, my assessment uh, that this film is for NPR people like was kind of unfair because I have like a natural defense mechanism against like movies that depict people with disabilities because I don't trust them. I know this basically this whole podcast started as a way to make me make you watch movies about disability. You're trying to help me uh, confront my demons. Tony. <laughs> no, I don't think it's that. It's just like, uh, but I, we, we were like listening to old episodes that we've recorded and some of them, you're like, you're like straight up depressed that we're about to watch a movie with wheelies in them. Oh yeah, my voice is completely deflated. Like I'm yeah, gonna, you're just like here we go. Yeah. It's like it's honestly like like the the feel the dread that I get before going to the the dentist <laughs> or the doctor or like yeah. anything like that. It's, it's it makes me very uncomfortable. Okay, but let's explain why Helen Hunt is getting naked in the first place. Right, we should we should totally explain. Uh, so okay, so the the plot of the film is that um, uh, Mark O'Brien hires uh, Helen Hunt. Uh, who is a, a sex surrogate um, to try to help him cope with his uh, body image issues and to solve the problem of his virginity. And so he uh, schedules eight sessions with her where they will like uh, meet together um, and, and get naked and uh, like partake in various activities like leading up to you know, full on intercourse. Yeah. And so like the movie, the movie's kind of structured that way. Like it's uh, their first, it, it, yeah, it's um, like the climax of the movie is literally like Mark. <laughs> I was going to say it's literally an orgasm. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. So um, the, the meat of the film and what I enjoy the most. Wait, wait, but let's, let's, let's talk about the priest guy. Cause you uh, didn't like the fact that, uh, there was a priest. So right before he decides to, to go and seek Helen Hunt, who who I think her name is Cheryl in the movie. Yep. He's like he goes to his priest friend or or just priest. I don't think they're really friends at that point. Uh, just to be like, hey, uh, I want to have sex, but I don't think it's going to happen for me the conventional Christian way. So. I'm kind of seeking permission from you, from God through you, to hire this person. Yeah. Because it does show, sort of, uh, before this, he's hiring a bunch of other people and eventually hires this one girl who's just gorgeous and just, like, kind of is, in my opinion, the perfect kind of person to be a good attendant. Okay, so, so sorry. So w- one second, the the people that he's hiring, he goes through a hire spree of new attendants. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. And he ends up hiring this one who uh, I think it's kind of implied that it's not uncommon for him to fall in love with attendants or to just fall in love in general. But he does hire this one attendant who is pretty easy to fall in love with. Although I'm pretty guilty of also falling in love pretty easily. I think. But, like, basically, he eventually says, I love you. She doesn't really know how to react. And then I, I think she asked him, him to, or her to marry him, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we should say that this uh, confession of love uh, comes uh, after a bunch of 
activities together. Like as yeah. as his attendant, she she takes him out to lunch, like uh, for walks in the park, uh, to appointments, like to see family members and basically execute his day. And she's very beautiful and accommodating and kind. <clears throat> and they talk a lot. And he's like uh, intimately aware of her private life and whatever. So naturally, <clears throat> by virtue of the boundaries that are quite often broken between client and attendant, he becomes attached to her and he says he loves her. And then she's unable to reciprocate. And, you know, in his uh, heartache, he decides like enough of this, you know, if I, if I can't uh, address my needs uh, for intimacy, the natural way that I have to hire a surrogate. There was also that weird moment where he's like kind of fantasizing and lusting over her. Um, and it's, it's, there's like interstitial fantasy clips of her like pole dancing or something, but then it goes back to him receiving care from her and she kisses him. But it's really hard to know if that's still part of his fantasy or if she actually kissed him. But all I have to say, like you said, like it doesn't feel like he made the move really quickly or something. Like it does seem like they built up a decent amount of chemistry. Maybe it was like a little soon to throw out I love you while they're shopping for clothes on his robotic stretcher. But like, I don't think it was like completely out of left field, especially even the way she she reacted. It's almost like she kind of knew that there was feelings growing and she just didn't really know how to handle it. In fact, there was that scene, which you also, I don't think we're a big fan of, where she was in a bathtub with her ex-boyfriend or something or boyfriend at the time and he was like getting like macho about it like well, why would i be threatened by someone like that and she was like well he's more of a man than you'll ever be or something like that and so like she didn't not love him but yeah it was unrequited so fast forward back to him asking the priest played by william h macy to get permission yeah, and you know Macy is being typecast here because he's always been um, these kind of. Uh, he's very appropriate here as the priest because, like, he 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 looks as though um, he's open-minded enough to uh, guide John Hawks through this this sexual journey, despite you know the inherent boundaries of spirituality and the role that a priest priest typically plays for someone. But this is like yeah, he has long hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He has long hair, and you you know you're aware of his role in Shameless and of all the other movies where he plays good natured men uh, who are capable of amoral behavior. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like I really struggled with that. <laughs> I I can't seem to call upon my movie encyclopedia when I need it. You don't need it. <laughs> Thanks. It's not useful at all. <laughs> Throw it out. <laughs> uh so one, one thing that uh kind of bugged me about this was um it's kind of stated in the article that the, the the movie is based on that mark doesn't have a whole lot of friends outside of his uh, professional colleagues his attendants and his priests um and that bothered me a lot because like i have this idea where it's like like never trust a wheelie whose only close friends are his or her attendants and or professors and or spiritual advisors 
because uh, in their professional capacity, they're kind of obligated to have a closer proximity to you than a stranger. So like, you know, you should be measured by your ability to attract people who don't have to be in your life. And Mark doesn't have anyone like that. <laughs> You're saying the same thing as like, uh, don't think that your Hooters waitress is into you. Exactly. Exactly. Like, like in this movie, like, of course, William H. Macy, like, likes John Hawks because he's inherently likable. You know, he has the, like the friendly, warm eyes and the, and the smile. And he's really mastered like that, like nasally congested, like uh, 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 restrictive, like, you know, I'm dying of polio voice. He's, <laughs> he's done a great job of that voice. He's even got like polio spine. Yeah, well, yeah, he put a, uh, a non-ergonomically uh, correct uh, lumbar pillow under his back for six months so he, could, um, so he could simulate what it's like to be disabled. I'm being somewhat facetious. Yeah, like, he's actually such a good actor, it feels bad to call him John Cox, <laughs> but I still will forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least in reference to this movie. It's very apt. Um, what was I saying? So, yeah, he goes to his priest... He asks for permission to have sex with someone. And it's kind of also to to get across to us the, the idea that, you know, yeah, like Mark is a professional human being. Uh, he has a full life despite his circumstances. Like he's conquered a lot. Uh, he's an accomplished writer. And yet he still needs to go to his priest to talk about his sex life. Very odd <clears throat> and very kind of childlike. Well, he did have a very insular world like you said like who else would he go to his cat i've talked to my cat a lot <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of advice did you get uh that's a fair point yeah i mean this is why your movie encyclopedia is so big right <laughs> he does have an interesting quote that he was like before sex happened for me i always thought my parents or God would intervene. Right, yeah. That's the other thing, his relationship with his parents. He talks about it a lot more in the actual article. But one of the reasons he's so like kind of unwilling to to make his virginity more of a more of a priority to him is because he's so um because he's he's like he he, he can't escape the uh uh the scorn or the, like the 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 religious attitudes of his parents. Who, who would part, who would probably compartmentalize him away from those kinds of needs. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just finish the plot first. <laughs> uh, so basically, he, he eventually decides to hire this person, hires her. She comes over. Oh, she doesn't come over. They go to another house yep. where some wheelies live or a, a wheelie lives. Some, and I, I think it's an actual wheelie. She had like, for sure had like CP hands or something. No, yeah, she was totally a wheelie. Uh, she also had a modern uh, permobile power chair, despite the film being set, excuse me, in the early 90s. So, well, yeah, but that just confirms that she's a real wheelie. Because they couldn't design like some sort of period-appropriate prop that would have addressed all their needs anyway, so they had to use... Yeah, it's like they don't, they have to like find an 85-year-old OT <laughs> to like pull something out of the archives. If you ask me to sit in a different wheelchair for one scene, yeah, there's no way you just have to park me somewhere. Yeah, no, they'd have to deep fake you onto some some other motherfucker in a shittier chair. Oh, I wonder if deep fake will help my online dating profile. Anyway, it, it it is funny that like 
that older adaptive equipment looked like torture devices, like medieval torture devices. Yeah, it looks like someone just made it like some plumber got bored and just made a wheelchair. Yeah, like all these fuckers are complaining that they want to sit upright. All right, fine. Let's. I got some leftover tubing. <laughs> yeah, so he he hires this woman, Helen Hunt Cheryl, and she's like, "I we can have six sessions together where they can build up to the eventual goal of intercourse and uh she's very very pragmatic about the whole thing it's very transactional she's basically like okay what do i need to do how do i need to confront this like tell me what i can and can't touch or move or whatever um which is probably how it really went down yeah it feels very um authentic yeah it, the, the the premise makes me uncomfortable but if i was in mark's situation i would be totally comfortable with helen hunt you know what i mean yeah i think that it's really easy to picture yourself in that situation yeah because it does feel really authentic the, the the thing that the movie like successfully gets apart uh gets across is that it's not necessarily that mark is horny even though like he is but it's that he's like afraid of how um his needs will be received by the non-disabled world like he's like afraid that he's kind of a monster and so like anyone else like if they thought like wow you know i'm gonna get late today like you know they're gonna go to that appointment excitedly uh with a uh a skip in their step chair or whatever and like but he doesn't he's like terrified he keeps trying to think of reasons not to go um but anyway when he gets there helen hunt is extremely accommodating she like tells him the terms of the sessions and like proceeds to undress and then they have these kind of like awkward meet cute moments where when she's taking off his clothes like she uh she kind of hurts his arm and then he kind of has to like uh tell her how he's vulnerable and what she can and cannot do and the nature of his, his disability and these these conversations are are warm uh the, the the dialogue is like uh natural and it's just like really well made like you you can tell that um everyone involved really uh put a lot of time into making sure that these scenes uh, were not uh, salacious. They were not like about the sex. They were more about um, putting uh, Mark at ease and about uh, conveying uh, just how comfortable Helen Hunt is with her body, with the situation, uh, with her occupation. And it just kind of works. Like, that's why I like these movies. I, I love those those scenes in particular. That's, that's what makes... Uh, the movie worth the price of admission. <laughs> There's uh, one thing that I, I find interesting, and maybe this is the reason why they have John Hawks like uh, like uh, in a horizontal bed the whole fucking time, um, is because like it's for the contrast between when he's in his chair and then when he actually gets into bed with Helen. 
um, because like it, the the shot is like on the roof, it's like facing downward upon them, and it's the first time in the movie where you don't see him surrounded by the bars of his bed or by blankets. Like he's just lying there. You could you could misinterpret him as not disabled, and then as well, they're able to get a two shot of him and Helen together talking. It's the only other time where he has a two shot. Uh, with another individual and they're like the their profile is the same so essentially he like becomes like an equal or like a human like when he's in the bed so there's like a kind of whole uh like a like a a warmth in it but then <clears throat> the actual uh like the carnal uh, fuck i'm such a dork again but the, the the sex aspect of it is still not lost right there's a scene where um uh she uh, gets uh mark to perform oral on her and it's kind of like this like joke scene where he <laughs> runs out of oxygen and she has to stop uh, but it's like they they show it all they don't obscure anything like she's like literally sitting on his face <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of a testament to the movie that they can be like you know so tender they can have these moments of tenderness juxtaposed with these like a uh, uh, very you know pornographic sexual uh activities <laughs> fuck well she also like acts as it is almost therapist yeah she... in a way like she was like a sex therapist i guess uh, she calls herself a sex surrogate though but she does like there's um so in her first in their first session basically she looks at his penis and he just explodes yeah 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 and then the second sex session sex sex session jesus um she's starting to understand that he has like a lot of self-resentment yeah uh, and a lot of shame in 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 sex which i don't think is an uncommon really thing i think we should definitely address that yeah but she kind of helps him with that by which is a very sweet way to do it like she's like picture yourself as like a six-year-old boy you're on the beach, you're playing in the sand, you're making a sandcastle, whatever, uh, and you, you see yourself as that more able-bodied person, that, that child of you. Uh, do you blame that person for becoming disabled? And obviously he can't because it's not his fault. He got polio, which again is a nightmare. So I think that helps because like uh, a lot of shame, I think, does come from people blaming themselves for something when it's not you like you shouldn't blame yourself for your disability unless you were a dick and you're like drunk driving you crashed then yeah you can have some fucking shame but it's not usually those people that feel shame like it's usually the people that are like born with a disability it progresses over time and their insecurities are drawn out and people around them have like the pressure of social stigma and social expectations to, you know, like decide whether or not they want to choose this person as a worthy partner. And uh, they sometimes they don't. And yeah, you can't really blame yourself for that. So anyway, she helps him with that, which is really cool of her. Uh, she basically just like seems like the perfect person for him to lose her virginity to. Yeah. It's like a, a it's a judgment free environment, um, and even though it is like semi formal, it doesn't feel clinical. Um, so the the movie has a whole 
a lot of very interesting virtues and it's definitely worth a watch i think yeah but yeah that whole subject of shame like i think we could probably unpack that for uh, the rest of time i don't really know i know like i personally don't blame myself for my disability but i blame myself for um well, maybe if you decided not to have a stroke, <laughs> that's definitely your fault. Yeah, like what? What? The, what the fuck was I thinking? What were you doing? I just don't have a stroke. Yeah, no shit. I think um, it's really hard to ask for help. Uh, it's hard for anyone to ask for help, and uh, like especially in the West, we we put a huge emphasis on uh, independence and autonomy. And when you're disabled, uh, like independence is uh, unattainable. It's 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 paradoxical. And so you you kind of uh, realize, and we've probably talked about this before, but you realize that there's a there's a limit to how much help you can ask for from your um, social safety net, uh, from your community, from the people that care about you. Uh, and you, you like you never quite know where that limit is, but you're terrified of reaching it. And uh, intimacy feels like something uh, higher up on the hierarchy of needs, such that you can't really go out and ask for it. Like, okay, so I think of my feet. <laughs> there aren't a whole part. There's not a lot of parts of my anatomy that I'm that I'm ashamed of. But like, my feet look like rejected uh david cronenberg uh prosthetics like they look like you know maybe they were part of jeff goldblum's fly costume but then cronenberg was like no 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 we need feet that look scary not pathetic you know what i mean (laughs) and and so like when mark says like i don't want to have sex uh because like uh i'm afraid that she'll be um mortified of my body it's like i totally get that like even this late in my life, I, I completely understand that. But looking at him or someone who is like so much more disabled than you, and then looking at yourself, do you still feel that? Oh, yeah. Because like, yeah, your feet might be the only fucked up part of your body. Well, I mean, yeah. Wait, just don't give anyone foot jobs, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep your socks on. <laughs> like my feet are so gross that a devotee would like be like, no, it's too much. You like that callback, Tony? You like that callback? Episode one callback? The callback to episode one. Yeah, go check out episode one where we talk about devotees. Yeah, yeah, please. Why the fuck did you go to episode four? Come on, dude. Come on. Why are you here? Unless you've listened to all of them. In which case, thank you. That's amazing. Yeah, we've had a lot of support just even in our first three episodes. Yeah, thanks for all the support, guys. That's yeah, cool. you're fucking amazing. Um, you guys are Alan Hunts for us. So I think everyone, if we didn't mention this already, this whole movie was based on an article that Mark O'Brien wrote called On Seeing a Sex Surrogate. And it's worth a read. It's so real that it's almost uncomfortable for me to read. Yeah, I know. And that's a good thing. That's a compliment because like, I'm pretty open to talking about most things, including sex. I don't have any problem talking about that. Well, clearly, yeah, this is, yeah. I definitely have, I definitely feel shame. I think my feeding tube is like the thing I'm most, it's like, if I could wrap that shit up, I'd be a lot easier. But then I also think if I got rid of that, then it would just move on to something else. Because 
if you're ashamed of your feet, like, come on. You know what I mean? Like, if I was to not have a feet in tube or somehow be completely in, uh, secure over it, then it would just move on to the next thing. I, yeah, I, I completely, uh, that you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so like, whatever, everyone has an insecurity. But um, this article, there's so many quotes in it that just make you go, oh, damn. Like, he, he, he uh, there was like one quote about how um, when you're disabled, you go to all these rehab programs that teach you, like, how to be better disabled. Yeah. They're like, this is how you ride a bus. This is how you go to the movies. And then this is how you keep money in your pocket. And this is how you ask for help at the grocery store. And did you go to those? No. Did you actually go to? I went to one. Oh my God. That sounds atrocious. It was ridiculous. Although I ended up gaming the system because they gave you like a, a daily allowance. Um, but I was there with like a bunch of different types of people. I have questions. Okay. This was at a hospital? It was at, no, it was at a, um, uh, it was, I think it was at like a dorm room or something in Toronto. How old were you? I was in like mid to late high school. And my parents enrolled me as a way of like, you're going to need this if you ever want to live on your own. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. And they're like, no, you won't. <laughs> so I went. No, you won't. <laughs> no, no, you're going. Uh, it was also probably just a nice break for them. <laughs> That's probably a real reason. They're like, no, we, you probably will be fine, but we won't. So you're going to have to leave. Um, so I went and uh, they basically, uh, they gave you this allowance. You had a bunch of activities and... I remember coming home with more money than I left with because I was so frugal with my spending that we'd like go to the grocery store and I'd like shop for deals where everyone else was like, ooh, $23. Uh, that's amazing. I'm going to go buy like a bunch of cool food. Okay, wait, hold on. Back off, Tony. So <laughs> you had you had like a life coach in a wheelchair come out and like tell you how to uh, navigate the grocery store aisle? They weren't in a wheelchair. That was the craziest part. Well, uh, what did they look like? Where did they come from? Who were they? <laughs> it was E.T. <laughs> you trying to teach you how to phone home? Yeah, he was like, this is how you phone home. 613. He's like, if you ever can't use your hands, I'll teach you my trick of how to fly a bicycle without hands. <laughs> uh, no, so... It was like a bunch of like social worker types. Oh God. Were they young? Like were they 20 somethings, uh, early 30s? Mm, there was definitely one that I flirted with a bunch. Just saying, okay, okay, okay. So that kept me alive um, because like it was horrible. Like it was like, it felt like you were at camp uh, or like the world's longest sleepover with none of your friends. So like, where did you stay? And, like, you had perfect strangers just uh, looking after... Yeah, well, I think I did it twice. I think I did one in Toronto and one in Peterborough. I'm kind of mixing them up. I don't know which is which anymore. But I stayed there. Like, I stayed... We, we had, like, a, a dorm room. It had, like, a kitchen and a living room and then a few bedrooms. 
And we just, I slept in a bedroom. Somebody would put me to bed and it was all like contracted out care. Okay. 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 Back up again. <laughs> uh, when you were at these uh, seminars, like were the social workers sitting in wheelchairs and trying to perform mundane tasks? No, it was like theory. What, what, what the fuck was the content of the lessons? The lessons were like, like, this is how to instruct people to, to wipe your butthole. No, it was like, well, some of it was just trial by fire. It would be like, okay. This is how to hang from a Hoyer? No, it was like, this is how to read a map. What? Yeah, it was like, here's... This is how to chew and swallow? Yeah, yeah, this is like, if you ever get too disabled, you'll get a feeding tube. This is what it looks like. (laughs) Are you serious? No. Okay, good. (laughs) It was really, it was very much... Because it wasn't the other the weird part was it wasn't all physically disabled people. There were also people there with mental disabilities, and they're learning the same lessons. So it would be like, okay, guys, we're planning a trip to the movies. You're gonna have to book your own taxi. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, what's the number? Oh no, you have to find the number. Oh, okay, can I use my phone? Ooh, good idea. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, so I'd like leave for four minutes and uh, come out and be like, okay, uh, so I'm kind of coming in like an hour. Wow, that was good. And it was just like, it was the worst. That sounds surreal. I remember for my cumulative project, we got to plan a trip. Uh, and it was like, um, you, everyone gets to plan a trip. You had a budget of X number of dollars and we were in Toronto and we got to go anywhere we wanted to go. And then um, uh, for my, if, so it was basically like you could just do whatever you want. You get the whole afternoon. You leave in the morning. You get to come home at this time. Uh, and that's it. You just have to make sure you get there. You do something. You come home and you meet us back here at this time. And that was like our cumulative project to learn all of our new skills. And I, I remember like, People were like, okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to get some chips and then I'm going to go to a park and I'm going to eat the chips and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to be the best. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to have a full day. So I went to Center Island. So you what? I went to Center Island. What is that? Like a strip club? It's like an island in Toronto. You have to take a ferry to get there. And it's like a park. And it's like sick. So <laughs> everyone else is like, I'm getting on a bus. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to an island for a bit. So like, uh, I remember the social workers were like fighting over who got to come with me. We, we like went and I like took a bus to a subway, to a ferry, to an island bought some food and ate it on the island and then took the ferry, the subway, the bus back. I'm imagining this like really awesome montage. (laughs) You like escape of of escaping the cuckoo's nest. Just me like getting stuck in an elevator. (laughs) (laughs) Cause that was their thing. Like they would only help you with some stuff. Like they would help you eat, but like um, they wouldn't help you if you were getting lost. Oh, cause that was part of the lesson. Yeah. Cause they taught you how to read a map. Oh, imagine they like forbid people with cerebral palsy from attending the conference because that's all we ever do (laughs) is get lost. No, they just give you two social workers. 
<laughs> really? <laughs> Is that actually a thing? Yeah, one at each end of the subway, just in case. <laughs> On both sides of a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, if you haven't watched the first four episodes... Uh, the point is that uh, people with cerebral palsy have notoriously terrible senses of direction. I don't know if we've ever covered that. I think we did. And oh, maybe not. Okay, okay. I don't know if we did, but it's worth talking about because it's um, pretty fun. Well, the point we were trying to get to is that uh, uh, Mark mentions that uh, he's been to one of these uh, hellacious seminars that Tony also apparently. Hellacious. Another new word. It's a We're going to have a segment called Jamie's Dictionary. <laughs> um, so what's hellacious? Of hell. Oh, it's, it's okay. Yeah, makes sense. I would say hellish. Fewer syllables, not as cool. Fewer syllables is more cool. Yeah, whatever. Brevity is a soul of wit. Okay, um, Mark. You just proved my point. I, yeah, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> Tony, just let me have my $10 words, okay? It's all I have. Okay, sorry. I apologize. I'll give you encyclopedia back. <laughs> um, uh, so Mark, Mark is like, how come they let us or teach us all these uh, ostensibly useless skills, and yet they don't teach us how to cope with our body image problems? Right. Yeah. Sorry, that was the end of the quote. I got hung up in the middle, which is fine. Um, yeah, they never teach us like how to love ourselves, how to like love other people, how to be okay with, like, your body and don't feel like you're an other because of it. Maybe I did learn a bit of that going to these camps because, like, there is a little bit of, you know, everyone there is disabled. So being disabled is the least interesting thing about you. Yeah. I mean, that's always the phenomenon of of being in a community of other wheelies. Yeah. Is that, is, is that it, not, it, it becomes the one thing that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And it's almost like... You can compare disabilities. Yeah. Or you can just lament together. Yeah. Which is a $10 word as well. Thank you very much. I'll take a check or cash. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, when you're with other wheelies, this is why why this podcast is better with both of us rather than one or the other. Oh, I can't imagine what a drag this podcast would be without you. (laughs) Oh, that's a hint, (laughs) man. It's because it would it be hellacious? It would just be like me, like getting lost in uh, big words. In a subway somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Um, He also had a really good quote that it basically felt like we were trained to be Ken and Barbie, Barbie dolls, where they had no, this is his quote, down there's down there. Asexual beings. Yeah, which we've talked about before. That's a very common thing with disability. So many people assume because you can't feed yourself, you also don't deserve love. Um, if you can't feed yourself, you can't jizz yourself? Yeah. They're wrong. But if you can feed yourself and you have fucked up feet, you still can't jizz yourself. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say, definitely watch the movie and definitely read On Seeing a Sex Surrogate. We'll put a link to On Seeing a Sex Surrogate in the description because it's definitely worth a read. I think at one point uh, during the uh, viewing of the movie, you said that you wouldn't be able to see a sex surrogate. Yeah. I don't know if it's my shame or my pride. I think it's a mixture of both. 
I don't think I'm that into, I don't really have sex to have sex, you know? Like, maybe it would be different if I was a virgin. Again, sounds like a humble brag or something. But, like, <laughs> like I just enjoy people. I do like physical connection. I also like emotional connection. And so, like, I don't, I think I would feel more lonely afterwards. If somebody was like, yeah, okay, uh, leave the money on the dresser and I'll come in and have sex with you. I'm, obviously, it would feel great. Like, sex always feels good. It's like bad pizza still is good pizza. But, like, I just don't think that, yeah, I don't think it would fulfill me in any way. I think I would probably leave feeling more empty. Like, I know people that do hire sex workers. I know able-bodied people that do it and disabled people that do it. I just, I've never been able to reconcile it with myself that that's something I would want to do. And, like, I'm not a stranger to being lonely. Like, happens to me pretty much once a winter. But I've never been at the point where I'm like, let me just hire someone. Maybe it's also because it's not very normalized. Like, if it was a normal thing that everyone was doing, would you be able to? I don't know. I I don't think I would uh, now. Maybe if I was 22, I would. Like, a still a virgin type thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. Like, if, if not, not if I was 22, but if I was my age now and still a virgin and just felt like there's absolutely no way I was ever going to have that connection with someone uh, in another way then maybe I would do it. Um, but I, I don't think that I would make that decision today. I, I bet you that most anyone who watches that film uh, would be able to completely empathize with Mark on his hiring of the surrogate. Like the, like it's quite clear why. Yeah, I think they would. Uh, one thing that kind of bothers me about um, the conclusion of the film um, is that... What was the conclusion of the film? So... In the last act, basically, um, there's a power outage at Mark's apartment building and his iron lung goes out, which is really stupid. Wait, wait, wait. I think we skipped a bit. Did we talk about how uh, Helen Hunt falls in love with Mark? Or... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really have much to say on that. I Like, that whole thing is kind of convoluted and annoying. Like, it's, it's kind of just there for audience, like, satisfaction. Uh, but No, that's yeah. really what happened. It's based on a true story. Well, okay. I feel like that was fabricated for the film. Why? Because disabled people don't deserve love, Jamie? No, because, you know, two two people who go close intimately in films, like, almost have to fall in love or else what was the point? And that kind of annoys me. If it was a more mature movie, it would have let them go through those sessions and not had Helen Hunt fall in love with them. But they actually did, dude. In real life? Yeah, that was, like, kind of the point. Like, she actually wrote these love poems to him. Right. Okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. They fell in love, whatever. Fine, fine, fine. Disabled people deserve love, whatever, fine. <laughs> it's not realistic, Tony. <laughs> it's not realistic. She's too confident with her body. How could No, it just doesn't work. <laughs> so basically, they fall in love. They decide at their fourth session to just end it there because they're probably just going to, at this point, make things uncomfortable and complicated rather than just uh, ending it at love and affection. And, you know, they were able to achieve all of their goals. So they end it. And then, yeah, and then the power goes up. 
And uh, for some reason, Mark's iron lung is not hooked up to like a backup generator or anything like that. So he has... Yeah, that is a huge oversight. Yeah, like completely. Um, I'm sure it was just like a plot device. But in any case, um, he, upon losing his source of oxygen, has three hours to, to live, essentially, unless an attendant can rescue him in time. And long story short, he ends up in the hospital um, where he, uh, during the course of his recovery, he meets a, um, a care worker uh, that he kind of like falls in love with. And um, during their meet cute, his closing remark to her, like as he's leaving the first scene in which they uh, start uh, courting each other, he's like, oh, and by the way, I just want to let you know, I'm not a virgin. And then he like gets taken off <laughs> to the cab and like driven home. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what a stupid, shitty line. Like, could you imagine? That was a weird line. It was fucked up. You like, you seem to think it, it suited the occasion, but I don't. Because I was thinking, like, imagine if you went. I get where he's coming from. It was meant cheekily or whatever. And she just sort of smiles and, and passes it, passes it off. And she's like, the actress who plays uh, uh, his girlfriend is Calamity Jane from from Deadwood. So, like, naturally, she's, like, really good at, at this small moment. She does a lot with the character in, the, in that one scene. Okay, wait, pause. Um, I just want to let everyone know, I guess, Deadwood fans out there who are also single, maybe on the <laughs> spectrum of devoteeism. <laughs> and autism. Yeah. <laughs> so we watched this movie twice for this podcast episode yeah and the first time if we had recorded it it would basically just be jamie saying that person's in deadwood this person's in deadwood that person's in deadwood and this person's in deadwood and it would have been appropriate because they were all from deadwood (laughs) i believe he wasn't lying (laughs) so also he's not a liar guys (laughs) so if you're into a disabled guy who can transfer himself, <laughs> who has an encyclopedic knowledge of movies, the slight asterisk is he is, apparently has David Cronenberg feet. But if you can get over that and you want to know who's in Deadwood, <laughs> Jamie is your guy. Send an email to the email on our website. Goddamn. And be sure. To leave me out of it because I don't care who's in Deadwood. So, like, okay, imagine you went to Deadwood uh, for coffee with a woman, and and you realized there was chemistry happening. Uh, mm, you know, they this, did this... go to coffee together. No, no, no. You're thinking of an early scene where he goes with Helen. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Calamity Jane from Deadwood. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Fuck, dude. Uh, the final scene, the the scene where he comes out of the hospital after his traumatizing incident with the failing yeah. lung box. Yeah, got it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm coughing. Yeah, they meet cute. You know, like she discovers that he's into religion. He's a poet, and um, she finds him really charming. And he smiles at her, and they have twinkly eyes, and it's very effective. A really good scene, very warm, very convincing. Yeah, you should definitely write a bunch of rom coms. Huh? You should definitely write rom coms. I, I would love to write a rom-com with you if you want to. I mean, I would, but the whole time, but, and then they do this, and then they do that, and then they do this. <laughs> and then they go to the park, and then they fall in love, and then they love <laughs> Okay, sorry, what does Calamity Jane do? <laughs> Fuck, Tony. Okay, like, they're leaving the hospital together, right? Because he's all better and whatnot. 
And he's like, do you have a boyfriend? She's like, no. And he's like, uh, uh, okay, well, we should go for coffee sometime. She's like, yeah, I would love that. And then like, as the ambulance driver or taxi driver, paratransport driver, whatever the fuck he is, <laughs> as he's taking John Hawks's gurney to the car, uh, John Hawks is like, oh, and by the way, there's something I want to tell you. And she leans in and she's like smiling and all excited. And he's like, I'm not a virgin. And it's like, and, and then she laughs. Like in the Me Too era, she smiles. She smiles, yeah. And, you know, she smiles convincingly because she's Calamity Jane. <laughs> but in the Me Too era, if you closed your courtship line with, a, a, I'm not a virgin, she would just turn around and run away. That would never happen. He would not be laid. Well, this wasn't the Me Too era, first of all. Well, it was It was on the press. Uh, was it? When was this? This was like 80s. It precluded Me Too by like a year. Oh, really? Yeah. But anyway, even like uh, Me Too notwithstanding, that would be a shitty line to close on. Yeah. I don't think it's... Okay, like, here's my defense of it. I agree. It's like a dumb thing. I would never say that. Yeah. But, well, except I did say that during this podcast. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but you were just trying to flex to the viewers. No, I was not trying... Oh, fuck. I have to cut it out again. (laughs) (laughs) No, they get it. They know you're humble. Come on, dude. (laughs) But I think the point is, like, so many people... Like, the further you get down the disability rabbit hole, like, the more disabled you look... Yeah. uh, The more wheelchairs you have in your closet... Or your crawl space. Yeah. The more people are going to assume that you're not... Uh, someone who has sex. And so this was a very important thing to him. He literally made it his life mission. But he says it like it's a punchline. I, okay, like I, I, I get like from a script point of view, like, like the script wants to uh, play off in like a playful way that like, you know, the, the, the movie has reached its goal. Yeah. You know, like he's no longer a virgin and woohoo and it gets him a girl in the end, but it just doesn't. Well, yeah, it, you're right. It's a weird line. It is a weird thing to say. But, like, maybe he should be proud of it. He literally just spent his whole life working towards this goal that he was able to achieve. And he's trying... He was, like, basically, like, his whole life was woman after woman who saw him as a brother or a friend only. Which is, would you agree, is not an uncommon experience for many disabled people? Yeah, to be sidelined is very normal. Yeah. And to be viewed as like, oh, you're like a brother to me. I don't see you like that, but you're fantastic. All I'm saying is that it's not a pickup line. That's not a proper pickup line. <laughs> and and if I and if I was with another wheelie, and- you're mad that it worked on Calamity Jane. <laughs> you're like, I wanted Calamity Jane. I never would have used that line, and that's why you're not with her. Yeah, you're right. I'm just jealous. Yeah, I'm just jealous. Yeah, I'm just jealous. Maybe because you're a virgin. <laughs> That's true. Helen Hunt, I need to hire you. I just want you to say it too, so we're even. But I definitely get it. I get why you would be bragging about that. I get why it it doesn't seem, I don't know. I think it I, it didn't trigger me as much as it triggered you, for sure. <clears throat> so after he says this god-awful line, <laughs> uh, the, the movie cuts to his death, mm. which I didn't like. Like, I don't understand. Like, yeah. Yeah, like Simon Birch. Yeah, they didn't show their love at all. No, like it didn't, like it wasn't like, it should have just been happily ever after. I don't care if he had. Because like, there was a five-year time span in there. 
yeah, like they could have they could have just shown him like having uh, dinner with his uh, partner in a living space that wasn't just like another box, a, a bigger box than his lung apparatus. <laughs> he got that futon he always wanted. Yeah, yeah, he got the fucking futon. You know, like maybe he went to Disney World or uh, had a cheeseburger at Wendy's. Uh, or something. I don't care. <laughs> Show him do something. Have a life like be in love. Like see the, see the fruits of his labor, rather than just like cutting to his death because the movie has like accomplished its goal and it needs like a poignant, sad, sad uh, conclusion. Yeah. Which they th- this is a trope of wheelie movies, like they did it in like I am. Sl- well, again though, he did die. So, so what? We all die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> You're so mad that you used the virgin line that you're like, just die. We have to show that you die, just die, okay? <laughs> it was such a shitty line. <laughs> but I think it really it really tied up together nicely because like the funeral was beautiful. The speeches they gave were beautiful. Tony, fuck off. Don't but what's your what's your face doing? <laughs> you just, it's just like it's that it's that like it's Grey's Anatomy syndrome where like uh, every episode has to look, uh, uh, end on the characters learning something from the like undue and awful suffering of of a patient that was part of that uh, episode. Are you telling me you felt nothing at the end of that movie? Well, I mean, like it was well acted and 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 well written and produced and everything. So you know, it hits all its story beats very effectively and whatnot. But it does feel very manipulative. It it really didn't have to end on his death. But it, it was just so that you know they could gather all the women uh, in in Mark's life that he conquered, and then have have like someone read one of his fucking poems like at a podium and be like you know <clears throat> uh, he was a paralyzed man who uh, uh, I, I don't know was it, he touched us with his words but not our hands yeah yeah <laughs> like what is that fucking bullshit yeah. He couldn't move, but he moved us. <laughs> like, it's so stupid. <laughs> so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he was so mad. It's so funny. Like, would you have rather seen just like, they they live happily ever after, fade to black, and then a text comes up that goes, Yes. Uh, he dies five years later. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. Don't manipulate me with his fucking death. Because the movie... You're mad. The, the movie made you sad. I am a little bit mad about that. Because when I get sad, it's got to be earned. <laughs> if you get sad, it was obviously earned. It's like a Disney movie can still manipulate your emotions. But if you're crying when Mufasa dies, you're still crying. Yeah, you're right. I just, I just wish that like movies with cripples could end on a better note. Why do they always have to fucking die? <laughs> All right. Well, for we have to, we'll still cover happier movies like uh, Les Entuchables and. Didn't he fucking die in Les Entuchables as well? No, I don't think so. No, he definitely died. I don't think he died. They just became friends and lived happy ever after. By the way, uh, we must apologize for our terrible French accent. Uh, my accent is actually uh, pretty good, and I've been told by French people, in fact, that it is good. So uh, I don't know what you are saying, but you can, or you say, uh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Tony, I, uh, 
All right, that is uh, fair enough. I will not bother you uh, anymore to the extent of your French accent. <laughs> okay, but yeah, so like me before you, motherfucker dies. You're you're just mad that it made you mad. Can I finish? Can we start spoiling the ending of every disabled movie for everyone? Oh, uh, they they know. They expect it by now. And now they know everyone dies. You know what it you know what it means? It means that any motherfucker that decides to date us is 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 thinking like, all right, well, but he's gonna die. Oh, that's why you're mad. Yeah, like it's like expected. That's a fair point. It's like okay. expected that we have like fucking premature deaths and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. That's a very, very fair point. But I mean, my expectancy isn't necessarily, I don't know what it is. Doctors told me a long time ago it would be very short. Uh, I don't think it's the same for CP. I think CP generally doesn't affect your lifespan. Generally, no. Yeah. So, but like, it, I don't know. It's a reality. People with polio lived shitty short lives. Fine. Whatever. People with SMA. Uh, I think nowadays the medicine's pretty good that we can live pretty much like a full life. I, I, so that's awesome. I might be the last generation of people with SMA based on the modern medicine advances that have happened. I've never had the courage to ask you about your lifespan. Yeah. Well, it, it was supposed to be five years old. And then... And then basically, like, my foster parents were super, super good at taking care of me, gave me a really good life and gave me good opportunities, health-wise and otherwise. But also just uh, medicine has gotten better. The machines that are available and the healthcare that's available. And now there are actually drugs that are out there. Um, I'm not qualified because I live in Canada. And because of our amazing free healthcare, we also don't get access to medications that the government doesn't seem worth their investment. Tony, I apologize. I just realized that my space heater, my space heater, is going to be a guest on this episode of the podcast. And also, that I think this might be my way of trying to interrupt this like very sobering subject. So I apologize. Yeah, it's, it's probably too much. Well, no, no, no. Uh, were were you were you finished? <laughs> <laughs> Living. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no. I, I'm finished talking about my life expectancy. Just everyone know it's largely unaffected now with modern medicine. But I have had that conversation with ex partners where they've been like, you know, like, is this something I need to think about? And that's a valid concern. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, but in any case, I, I don't like the trope. I want it to stop. Yeah. But you're right. That is a very good reason to be annoyed by it, especially because um, so many times, like because there's so few representations of disability in media, people see one and they go, oh, he wanted to kill himself or, oh, he died young. So that's all wheelies. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. So I agree. Uh, if anything, you if you can take anything from this podcast, hopefully it is that Everyone who is disabled has a very unique experience, even if they have the same uh, diagnosis as the next person, um, their life expectancy or their ability levels or their ability to tell you who is in Deadwood will change person to person. Right. Of course. Yeah. And you should just treat people as people. Yeah. That, yeah. If, if, if I can get preachy for a second. 
that would be my sermon. There you go. You're a regular William H. Macy. <laughs> okay, I'll pull off the line here. All right, shall we uh, move to our wheel breakers segment? <laughs> That's your that's your effort to give a name to our little uh, uh, game of hypotheticals. Yeah, wheel breakers, like deal breakers, but for would you break out of your wheelchair? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at least you can amuse yourself on this subject. Thank you. I appreciate it. Do you have something better? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you would call it Deadwood. <laughs> would you Deadwood if... <laughs> All right, how about this? Would you become able-bodied, have the perfect body, everything about you remains the same personality-wise, and you get to cure those fucked-up feet that you hate so much, but you can never again watch anything, movie, or TV, or talk about it? And if I talk about it, I become instantly disabled again? You just can't. It's like liar, liar, where you open your mouth and nothing comes out. So I just have to completely omit like um, all forms of like filmic escapism from my life. Yeah, you can't watch movies or TV shows. You can still read. You can still play video games. Are there any consequences to reading or playing video games? No, but you can't. There's no articles uh, that are about movies or TV shows in your life. And do I remember having ever consumed my favorite TV shows? You forget every movie you've ever watched and every show you've ever watched. Even The Sopranos? Especially The Sopranos. Because that's the one you've watched the most, maybe. I feel like I'd be... You're so depressed. (laughs) 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 Don't make me think about it. (laughs) You're, You're telling me to give up, like... My favorite thing. Yeah, your favorite thing. Like the thing that puts wind in my sails when there is none. Yeah, but remember you'll have nice feet. Huh, for you, right? I gotta be honest. Like, I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I mean, like, I would just be a different person if I couldn't. Yeah, you would be. Because, like, who would you be if you've never... Okay, but how about this then? You don't forget everything. You still remember it all, but you just can't talk about it. And you can't consume anything more starting today. Can I do an impression of Tony Soprano? <laughs> That's a funny duple. No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you just become Tony Soprano? <laughs> <laughs> to compensate. <laughs> All right, fuck it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I can't do it. Yeah. I'd like, I, and it, it's not. Uh, it's pathetic. It sounds really pathetic, but it's something I really love. No, I don't think it is. I think that's a good thing that you have something you love so much that you love it more than you hate yourself. <laughs> you love it more than you hate your fucked up feet. That's good. That's All good because right. that means your shame isn't like more than your passions. Right. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. <laughs> I think I could probably do it because it's not that big of a deal to me. I don't really watch that much stuff. Like most things I already haven't seen. And you just read books. I think that would be fine. I would just read books. I would like to thank friends of mine who um, like uh, indulge me when I talk about TV shows at work, like at length, because I do it a lot. And like I try, I try to see, you know, when people are starting to lose interest, 
like when their eyes, you know, like drift away. Glaze over. Yeah, when they want, when they clearly want to get onto something else. When they're snoring. Sometimes I just miss it because I'm thinking about James Gandolfini at length and I, I need to talk about him. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much for listening to me and, and, and not, and, you know, not telling me that I have a problem. I think your friends will appreciate that. I hope they do too. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, on to one of my hypotheticals. Okay. Yeah. You've got one. All right. I'm ready. I do. I do. It's in an email that I wrote to myself. So I need a moment to go get it. Okay. No problem. I have, I have some more, but. Okay. Okay. Uh, ask away. Ask away. Well, I was going to ask one related to uh, this movie. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's that complicated. But would you become able-bodied and give up your disability and you know shed every every disabled part of you? But the catch is you have to do everything for the rest of your life standing up. Like you can. Like you can never ever sit down. You can never sit down. But don't worry, you don't get tired of standing physically. Do you have to sleep standing up? You sleep standing up, which you figured out how to do. But it's it's just weird. Everyone around you is like, can you sit down? And you're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> you're like going to bed and you just, you like stand there beside the bed. <laughs> you're like one of those people at a, par- at a party where like there's enough seating for them, but they just won't sit. They have an excuse like, oh, I've been sitting all day. Yeah, yeah. Like so? And you're like, that's just weird. Just take a load <laughs> out before I get uncomfortable. Yeah, like, I sit my whole life just sit out. Yeah, like, you fucking pretentious bastard. Like, of course your legs work. Sit the fuck down. Yeah. <laughs> so would you be so <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I think it would be, I think it would be, like, slightly tyrannical to have to stand all the time. I think it would suck. The reason I thought it was related to this is because he's always lying down. Right. Yeah, it's a weird posture to occupy all the time. Yeah, so like you don't think you would do it because it's too well it's almost like a power trick, right? Yeah, yeah, like you couldn't go to a restaurant or like a movie theater. Yeah. Uh like you couldn't go on road trips, so you wouldn't be able to drive. You'd have to take the bus everywhere. <laughs> the city bus. <laughs> yeah, just everywhere. Uh or just get like a, a, a car with a sunroof and you stand in the sunroof. And then, like, if you if you went to mass and the priest told you to sit down, you'd have to <laughs> defy the priest. You're like, no, I'm, I'm gonna stand. <laughs> it's a long story, but I have to stand. <laughs> there was this podcast I used to do with my friend, and we were disabled, and <laughs> now I'm not. But the church is the church is I have to stand. <laughs> if I sit, I'll never stand again. <laughs> 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 well, okay what if it was like as soon as you sit down you just revert to your current body like how long do you think you'd be standing for like i don't know that's it's a weird one <clears throat> you'd have to set up a bed like in a closet somewhere like you couldn't sleep with your partner no, you just get like one of those wall beds and you don't fold it down wall beds yeah like the beds that fold up into the wall oh yeah like and you just like put your back to it <laughs> Just lean up against it. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it. I don't know, dude. Yeah, that's bizarre. It's it's that's really weird. <laughs> All right, you got one. I have one. It's kind of stupid. 
Um, okay, great. We're going to sell it. <laughs> would you give up being disabled if you had to eat a tiny piece of shit every day? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I need to stay with Tom. Um, how big are we talking? Like, it's just a spoonful of shit. Like a teaspoon? A teaspoon. And it's human shit? Yeah. Is it my own shit? Good question. I don't really know what answer I'm looking for, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the shit of a very attractive person. What does it matter? I don't know. It depends what they eat, mostly. Because if it was my own shit, I could probably have some control over the taste. <laughs> 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 you, you, you. <laughs> I'm trying to play this one out. <laughs> you, <laughs> you'd plan your diet around what you'd eventually have to eat later. <laughs> I start a blog like foods that make your shit taste good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're gonna have to edit out some of my laughter because it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> okay so is it my own shit <laughs> yes and i don't have to tell you when i do this right i can just <laughs> just do it in private <laughs> no you what's taking you so long in there <laughs> why do you always bring spoons to the bathroom <laughs> um no i wouldn't do it no <laughs> <laughs> i tried so hard to like rationalize the idea that I could make my shit taste okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My shit doesn't stink. <laughs> no, there's no way. I would, I would be, <laughs> I'd be like a weekend. I'd be like, why did I do this? Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> like seven shit deep. <laughs> I just start eating. I make sure I like. Oh yeah, no, it would just be. No. <laughs> oh God, man. Wow. <laughs> Those are, those are fantastic. <laughs> I, I do have more, but I think you should save them for another episode. Okay, let's save them. All right, let's end it with, um, do you have an awkward disability story of the week? Awkward disability story of the week. Nothing comes to mind. Can, can you go first? Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really have one ready either, um, but I was thinking about it today, and uh, I think the, the most awkward thing that's, it's not even that awkward, but um, whenever people brush my teeth, it depends on the person, but I have a timer on my toothbrush that goes for two minutes just to make sure that people um, brush it for the full two minutes. Because first of all, my mouth doesn't open very wide, so I'm very conscious that if I don't take good care of my teeth, then one day I'm going to have to get a cavity. And just like how I bragged about not being a virgin, um, I've never had a cavity. <laughs> Tony, 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 you're so, you're so, oh, fuck. What? Excuse me. Tony, you're so conceited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that was my line in the end of the movie. <laughs> I have something to tell you. Come here. <laughs> she leans in close. 
I've never had a comedy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've never had a comedy. And so I'm, I'm really afraid of what that might be like because my jaw doesn't open. And I'm afraid that if I went to the dentist, they'd have to break my jaw. Oh, God. In order to like open it enough to do what they have to do. Jesus. But yeah, so I'm very conscious of making sure my teeth get brushed properly. And so I have this timer. And some people are very good. They like get inside and they like brush inside my teeth. And then other people, you know, like we were mentioning earlier, you're just kind of like a task that has to be completed. Mm-hmm. So they do it for like what feels like four seconds. And every time I'm like, that's not enough. And so very recently, somebody was brushing my teeth. And this person always, always cuts the timer short. And I think they think I don't notice. Like they push the button and like, I they, I guess they shut off. Oh, okay. But like, I know what you're doing. I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. So recently I was like, uh, it usually doesn't matter so much because I have like three bites a year for my food. And it, you know, like there probably isn't that much going on that could give me a cavity. But sometimes uh, I drink like sugary wine or like a hot chocolate with alcohol in it or something. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with this? Is this, this is just part of your cavity anxiety? Like you're wondering if you have to give this stuff up? No, no, no. So the attendant brushed my teeth very quickly and I basically had to like walk them around my mouth. I was like, can you just do the back left a bit more? And so they do the back left. And I was like, at the top. How are you talking to them? How are you doing this with a toothbrush in your mouth? Because she'll do it for like another three seconds and then take oh. the toothbrush out. Oh, what a, that's so silly. So then I'm like, oh yeah, can you do the bottom left a bit more? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll do that. I'm like, okay, uh, can you do the bottom near the front on the left a bit more? <laughs> so by the end of it, they're just doing my whole mouth again. <laughs> and that was pretty awkward because I was like, we both know what's happening here, right? I'm basically just asking you to brush them better, but I'm just kind of, I'll even like play it up a bit. I'll like, like pretend I'm like searching around my mouth for something. I'm like, oh yeah, can you do the, the back right a bit more near the top? And then you do that for like three seconds. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, right, right in front of that one. Yeah, yeah, right <laughs> So that was a bit awkward. So this is a problem that you have with more than one attendant? It's not just this one person in particular? Everyone everyone is different with how well they brush my teeth. There's, I could definitely like rank my attendants in order of how well they brush my teeth. Dental acuity? <laughs> like if I was a billionaire, really, I would have an attendant just for brushing my teeth. You'd have a teeth smithers? Yeah. Uh, Toothsmith? Toothsmith? You've never seen The Simpsons. You don't even know who Smithers is. I know who Smithers is. Okay, good, good, good. Um, Oh, Teeth Smithers. Yeah, Tooth Smithers. Yeah, I'd have a Tooth Smithers. Um, Yeah, so that, I don't know. Like I said, it's not really awkward, but it is something that nobody has to think about if they're not disabled. Right. Or if they just brush their own teeth. I don't mean to brag, but I've never had to think about this. (laughs) I don't mean to brag, but... I <laughs> these pearly whites are all mine, baby. <laughs> or these coffee-stained chiclets. We should make a meme 
where we just replace that last line that you hate from the movie <laughs> with like dumb disability things. <laughs> like, I've never had a cavity. <laughs> I brush my own teeth. <laughs> my feet aren't very fucked up. <laughs> I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> I can twiddle my thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I can wait bare. <laughs> I've ridden in the backseat of a car before. <laughs> I've taken the non-disabled taxi. <laughs> I, I can float in a pool. I've never worn a life jacket. <laughs> I've been outside. <laughs> I have a friend who isn't my priest. (laughs) I don't use a straw. (laughs) I can pee by myself. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, do you have an awkward disability story? No, I think we should end it there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks guys for watching. We appreciate the support. It's been super, super positive and we've had a great time doing this. Our website is always in the almost choked on my own spit. <laughs> I've never choked on my own spit. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, dude. But yeah, guys, uh we appreciate your support. Be sure to like check out the website and you know, our email's in there if you want to get in touch or send us some movie ideas or something something you want us to watch. Uh, or, as I said, if you are interested in Jamie and his Deadwood, you want to watch Deadwood with him, send him an email. I'd love to watch Deadwood not by myself. <laughs> watch Deadwood with people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Cheers. Bye.